0: I'd like to share a story from the Bible. There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship. You can no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I can't dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've resolved what to do that when I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master found out and commended the unjust steward because he dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Now that was a pretty shrewd caretaker. He abused something that he was supposed to protect for his own benefit. He bought friends with someone else's money. Join me in the economic war room where you will discover that you may have such a wicked steward working for you. Only he may be using your money to destroy America and make himself more powerful in the process. Maybe the greatest betrayal comes when someone you should be able to trust stabs you in the back with your knife. The sad thing, it's happening in a major way today. In essence, we may be funding our own demise. Sadly, let's talk about index funds, the darling of Wall Street. But in so many ways, they've been weaponized to destroy your values and the future of our children and grandchildren. Now, index funds are a great concept. I'm not against them. Essentially, they offer investors a way to buy the whole market or at least a sector of it all at once. With online trading, you can buy shares in 500 or more companies with a click of a button and $100 or even less. No more having to bet on individual stocks. And they work beautifully, at least when the stock market's moving higher. The idea of index funds began in 1960, just a little bit before I was born. Edward Renshaw and Paul Feldstein published a paper with the title, The Case for an Unmanaged Investment Company. It was published in the Financial Analyst Journal, and it was a shocker. At the time, there were 250 mutual funds, including one from my old boss, John Templeton. Renshaw and Feldstein thought that 250 was too many choices. Guess what? There are around 10,000 mutual funds available today. But the idea of buying the whole index rather than a single stock was not entirely new in 1960. It had been tried and abandoned in the Great Depression. And when introduced in 1960, it was still very controversial. In fact, a few months after that article appeared in the Financial Analyst Journal, there was a new article written explaining why index fund investing made no sense at all. And ironically, the author of that article, hidden behind a pen name, was none other than Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, the real pioneer of index funds. Starting in the mid-1970s, Vanguard built a powerful empire from the idea that it's better to buy the entire market or at least an entire sector, rather than trying to pick winners and losers among individual stocks. So a major new industry was born in 1976, and in the 45 years since then, index funds have come to dominate the stock market. In fact, just two years ago, the total invested in index funds surpassed the assets managed in all mutual funds. That's a major shift that took place during my lifetime. There are plenty of good reasons for this growth. The biggest of these is what led Jack Bogle to create the industry. The fact is that the average money manager underperforms the stock market, and the average underperformance matches closely with the fees being charged and the cash being held. Let's talk about the cash part first. Managers picking stocks always keep some cash on the sidelines as dry powder in case something good becomes available or to hedge against a market drop. Index funds are fully invested all the time. Because the market has historically gained ground over time, That cash can be a drag on performance. This is especially obvious when the market is hitting all-time highs, as it has in recent years, and has been basically going up since index fund investing began in 1976. Beyond being fully invested, mutual funds also generally have lower fee structures. They rarely have transaction costs because they're buy and hold as long as the stock remains in the the index. The average index fund charges about 0.15% per year, while an actively managed portfolio can have fees between 1% and 2%. As a result... CNBC recently reported that over 10 years, 85% of large-cap funds underperformed the S&P 500 index, and after 15 years, nearly 92% trailed the index. Now, there are some investment advisors who built their entire careers by selling clients on the many very valid advantages of index funds. And the industry has really taken off with more modern inventions of things like exchange-traded funds, also known as ETFs. These are the simplest form of index funds, and as a result, ETFs now have over $9 trillion of assets. ETFs, combined with online trading, have made buying the market simple, convenient, and affordable. And as long as the market keeps moving higher, owning an S&P 500 ETF has proven very profitable. So what's the problem? Index funds and ETFs have democratized investing and given all Americans access to Wall Street, right? Yes. Unfortunately, there are some risks that are developing that can no longer be ignored. Some people think the risk is related to structure. Those who invest in an index fund are known as passive investors. This is compared to active investors who will buy and sell individual stocks. At some point, if all investors were passive, there wouldn't be anyone left to compare the companies in the index, look at earnings and growth, or even trade the individual stocks. We're not at that point, and we might not ever get there. But the theory makes sense and has a number of people quite concerned. This theory has sparked a huge debate between active and passive managers and investors. Has the market begun to move in a herd mentality? If we had a major drop, would everyone panic and sell out at the same time? Who would be left to pick up the individual bargains as they emerge? Will the large companies get the most capital simply because they're in the index? These may be real risks to our market, but they're not the only risk and they may not even be the most critical risks we face. As was the case of the unjust steward, there may be a sinister force at work ready to use the index fund structure to take political power and sell out to American enemies. Now we're gonna need to take a break. But when we come back, we're gonna look at how this massive industry that's benefited so many people may soon become a threat to your wealth and to our nation's future. Index funds, the great democratizer of Wall Street, have grown to be the dominant force in investing. Unfortunately, there are some, maybe unintended, consequences and clear risks that are emerging. And some bad people are hijacking the industry, putting your wealth and our nation's future at risk. In the first segment, we talked about the very real benefits of being a passive investor, Passive investor buys an index fund and really invests in the entire sector of the economy or maybe the entire market. Since the index fund phenomenon began in 1976, it has taken Wall Street and investors by storm. In less than 45 years, index funds have surpassed all traditional mutual fund assets. And they've outperformed the vast majority of actively managed funds by a decent margin over the long term. We expect that if the stock market continues rising, active funds will continue to underperform. But the first risk you should be aware of is the risk of a market decline. Passive investors will make a great case that the market has always bounced back. And betting against America and our stock market is a loser bet. They may be right, but the reality is that there are many forces at work today. With the market at all-time highs, this could be a real threat, especially with a risky political environment. Those who love index funds will quickly counter. There have been plenty of threats before, like a Great Depression, World War, other wars, severe inflation, terror attacks, pandemics, and political upheaval. Yet despite these problems, the stock market is higher today than any point in prior history, and that's a valid point. But it also demonstrates one of the counterpoints. If you take a measurement when the market is an all-time high, it's always going to favor passive management. But depending on the time period, if stock prices are down sharply, as does happen, active management can and does look better. Remember the Wall Street adage, past performance is no guarantee of future results. So starting with the market at an all-time high, if we see a drop from here, you can bet that many active managers will beat the market because they will hold selected stocks, some hedges, and cash. The market rallies to new highs later? Of course, the passive managers will again take the lead. Now, we can debate individual performance all day, but you should know that a falling market is at least a short-term risk to owning an index fund or index ETFs. There are other risks, and these get worse than just taking a short-term loss. Just Google index fund threat and you'll see a whole host of articles in reputable publications debating whether or not the extraordinary success of index funds threatens the overall market or economy now let me read a few headlines Bloomberg the hidden dangers of the great index fund takeover Forbes are index funds a threat to your wealth market watch index funds may hold more danger than you realize Seeking Alpha, the danger in index funds. U.S. News, has passive investing become fraught with risk? Math Investor, does indexing threaten the market? Now let me summarize these concerns these recent publications are raising. First, there are some who believe that index funds are a big, self-fulfilling bubble. Michael Burry, now that's the guy behind the big short, He's one such believer. Here's what he said in a 2019 article in CNBC. He said passive investments are inflating stock and bond prices in a similar way that collateralized debt obligations did for subprime mortgages more than 10 years ago, Burry told Bloomberg News. Like most bubbles, the longer it goes on, the worse the crash will be, said Burry. The theater keeps getting more crowded, but the exit door is the same as it's always been. All this gets worse as you get into even less liquid equity in bond markets globally. Burry makes some strong points, and the market has gone even higher since he made them. If this is a bubble, it's only gotten worse. And remember, this is a man who saw the risks of the housing bubble and made a literal fortune because he was ready for it. But as bad as that is, it's not the only concern. There are others who believe that the popularity of indexing threatens our entire investment structure and the efficient allocation of capital. Price discovery. That comes from agreement of a willing and knowledgeable buyer meeting up with a willing and knowledgeable seller. They agree on a price and that becomes the official market price. Having a large market of buyers and sellers creates better efficiency and better price discovery. That makes sense. If there were just one seller and one buyer, you don't get a really good idea of what the fair market value is. By definition though, passive investors don't make decisions based on price. They just take what the market offers, regardless of price. And if all or a majority of investors become passive, you lose the benefit of robust price discovery and that leads to a less efficient market. This groupthink can even lead to an emperor's new clothes situation where prices get inflation inflated for the largest companies in the index whether or not they have real value. This happens because most index funds are capitalization weighted. That means the biggest companies in the index get the largest allocation of new investments. And over time, the enormous amount of money that flows into the index causes the index to swell. But because investment capital is limited, index investing denies capital to those companies not in the index. This becomes a potential hindrance to an overall efficient market. It's sort of ironic. Passive investing becomes popular because the market is considered efficient. The saying has always been that you can't beat an efficient market. But the popularity of index investing has become a threat to that very efficiency. You can see that there's an impact because if a stock enters an index it generally goes immediately up in price even if there are no changes in the fundamentals. Similarly a stock removed from an index generally sees its price decline immediately. This is known as the index effect. And there is a real index effect. But there's also a serious debate over whether or not it's important enough to threaten overall market efficiency to any meaningful degree. But one thing is certain, however, and that is we're in uncharted waters. Indexing is more prominent than it has ever been before in history. Only time will tell if this possible passive investing bubble will threaten the market structure, future performance, or both. Perhaps the most important warning comes from a surprising source. 2019, Jack Bogle, the man who created Vanguard and is considered the founder of this industry, wrote an important article for the Wall Street Journal shortly before his death. The article is titled, Bogle Sounds a Warning on Index Fund, and it opens with this thought. There can now no longer be any doubt that the creation of the first index mutual fund was the most successful innovation, especially for investors, in modern financial history. The question we need to ask ourselves now is, what happens if it becomes too successful for its own good? He goes on to say, If historical trends continue, a handful of giant institutional investors will one day hold voting control of virtually every large U.S. corporation. Public policy cannot uh, ignore this growing dominance and consider its impact on the financial markets, corporate governance, and regulation. These will be major issues in the coming area. Three index fund managers dominate the field with a collective 81% share of index fund assets. Most observers expect that the share of corporate ownership by index funds will continue to grow over the next decade. It only seems a matter of time until index mutual funds cross the 50% mark. If that were to happen, the big three might own 30% or more of the U.S. stock market. Effective control. I do not believe that such concentration would serve the national interest. It's that threat that we're most concerned about we have to take a break when we come back we'll explore how index investing has become a clear and present danger to your very way of life john bogle was the pioneer founding of the entire index industry warren buffett thought so highly of him that he lauded him in a 2017 letter to shareholders Buffett wrote, if a statue is ever erected to honor the person who has done the most for American investors, then hands down, the choice should be Jack Bogle. Later, Warren Buffett described Bogle with the words, integrity, wisdom, and class. That's high praise and certainly justifies us hearing Jack Bogle's final warning. In a Wall Street Journal article published shortly before his death, Jack Bogle made this point. He said, Professor John C. Coates of Harvard Law School wrote that indexing is reshaping corporate governance and warned that we're tipping toward a point where the voting power will be controlled by a small number of individuals who can exercise practical power over the majority of U.S. public companies. Over the past two years, it's become increasingly obvious that both Jack Bogle and Professor John Coates were right. Index funds have grown in power and control. The big three of Vanguard, BlackRock, and State Street have unprecedented power over major corporations. They aren't the real owner of the shares. You are. But they have the voting control. Bloomberg addressed the same problem in an article last year titled, The Hidden Dangers of the Great Index Fund Takeover. This is Bloomberg. They stated, The big three, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, are the most important players in corporate America, whether they like it or not. The article acknowledges that the big three are already dominant and control the most important voting block of shares in existence. Of course, they give us the index fund response that, ah, we shouldn't worry. They said, The fund companies, say there's nothing to worry about because they don't vote as a block. Not true. And index funds don't buy shares to pursue any special agenda. Not true again. They just buy whatever's in the index usually in proportion to its market value. Yeah I guess they don't buy them to pursue the agenda they just vote them to pursue an agenda. Is that answer fair? Well actually Bloomberg didn't seem convinced. They stated, and yet voting power is voting power. The fund companies combine votes and back-channel jawboning in which they make their views known to directors and chief executive officers, and they can swing the outcome of important matters such as mergers, major investment decisions, CEO succession, and director elections. Even if no fund house has the ability to decide the outcome of such matters alone, and I disagree, BlackRock does, they're potentially the most powerful force over a huge swath of America alarm bells have begun to go off with some regulators as well as with ideologically diverse array of academics and activists about two years after john bogle sounded the alarm and less than two years after bloomberg echoed it i can tell you what they so greatly feared has already come to pass the index fund industry already has sufficient control to force companies to toe their line and in most cases This is a progressive agenda demanding that all of corporate America suddenly become woke. Do you wonder why woke cola would teach critical race theory and tell you to be less white? This is why. They want to please their market masters. This is why toy companies are calling toddlers racist. This is why ExxonMobil now has three directors on their board who want to end the use of fossil fuels. That's a move that would essentially put Exxon out of business. Of the big three index providers, as a company, BlackRock is clearly the largest, now with $10 trillion of managed assets, and they're throwing their weight around. Let me quote from The Hill. It says, BlackRock's choice, investment fiduciary or political activist? Astonishing Black, astonishingly, BlackRock now threatens to vote against directors who don't incorporate its views on environmental and social issues, the E and the S in ESG Investing. BlackRock says it will take a harsh view of companies that fail to provide it with the data it demands, even though Fink himself tells corporate CEOs that such reporting requires significant time and analysis and effort. And it proposes to make good on its threat by aligning its proxy vote with single-issue activist campaigners when it judges a company is not effectively dealing with an issue it deems material or might not be dealing with ESG issues appropriately. The Hill goes on to say, this is unprecedented. Now, we have polling. It indicates the average American investor does not want ESG. It's a progressive leftist attempt to usher in their version of socialism. The E is supposed to stand for environment, but it's really eliminate fossil fuels. S stands for social, but translates into social justice slash critical race theory. And the G stands for governance, but really, it's a gender-race quota requiring minorities and LGBTQ be included on every board of a listed public company. And all this is made possible in part by the power given to the Big Three Index Fund providers, especially BlackRock. We've covered ESG and BlackRock before on this program. We've also covered the hypocrisy of their position promoting ESG while investing heavily in China. Think about China. Are they good for the environment? No, China's the worst polluter on the planet. Is China good for social? No, they control the population and even allow forced organ harvesting, social credit scores, and forced abortions. Is China good for governance? Absolutely not, as their companies often violate all traditional global standards on governance. They're not even good for diversity, and as ESG requires, they're cracking down on effeminate men. Even George Soros has called Larry Fink and BlackRock as a threat based on their pro-China stance. This September, Soros wrote the following for the Wall Street Journal. He said, the BlackRock initiative imperils the national security interests of the US and other democracies because the money invested in China will help prop up President Xi's regime, which is repressive at home and aggressive abroad. Wow, when George Soros can call you out, you must be really bad. So what do we do about this? At the national level, we can follow the prescription laid out by Jack Bogle. I can't go into his entire list of proposals, but we'll put them in the economic battle plan for this episode. One example Bogle says we should consider is enact federal legislation making it clear that directors of index funds and other large money managers have a fiduciary duty to vote solely in the interest of the fund's shareholders. That's shareholder capitalism not socialism, not stakeholder capitalism. Now, no one is suggesting we ban index funds, but we clearly must take some dramatic steps to address the existential threats they're creating. In terms of the bubble risk, the answer is to educate market investors to avoid bubbles. Unfortunately, it's hard to know if a bubble really does exist and even if it does, when it might burst. So I would suggest everyone should have a professional advisor who is aware and watching out for these risks. And you are going to need a financial advisor for what's coming. It's getting complex. It's getting challenging. And a good financial advisor can help you weaponize your money before it's weaponized against you. If you don't act with an advisor and just on your own, it may be too tough. So for the ESG threat to your values and America's future, we started the NSIC Institute. We trained 10,000 advisors, a trillion dollars in capital, That means millions of investors who vote. And they invest in ways that defend rather than destroy liberty. We're launching the economic war room training at Liberty University. Now, not all advisors agree, but don't you want an advisor who does agree with you? They'll be able to band together at the NSIC Institute, National Security Investment Consultant. If your advisor is not willing to support you in this, find a new advisor. I promise, there are lots of advisors who are looking for new clients like you. And if you're an advisor, this may be your niche. Lots of clients are looking for a like-minded advisor. We'll summarize all of this in our free economic battle plan for this episode. You can get your access at economicwarroom.com. And don't forget to nominate your financial advisor at economicwarroom.com forward slash advisor. This training is offered by invitation only, so nominating your advisor is the first step. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.